Hey y'all, Liz Higgins here, and welcome to the Millennial Life Podcast, where my main goal is to share conversations that will inspire you and drive you toward the life and relationship you desire. I'm here to share what I've learned as a licensed therapist and relationship coach specializing in millennial relationships and wellness, as well as transformative conversations with other professionals. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's episode. Hey, y'all, welcome. So I bet if you are a millennial who is listening to this podcast that you may be in a relationship or you may want a relationship. And I bet when you think about that ideal relationship, it's it's one where you you get what you need out of it and you give your partner what they need out of it. You're able to listen to each other. You're responsive to each other in the therapy and relationship world. We say we are attuned to each other. You get each other. And also in this relationship, you can set limits. You can maybe have healthy boundaries and hold on to things that you have cultivated for yourself already in life ways that you've already become established that are important for you to maintain and to keep a sense of. In this ideal relationship, you probably want to feel cherished. You probably want to feel like your partner is like, yes, I found my person. And you want to feel that way too. There's this level of I don't like to say it, but it feels like you're complete because you finally found them. We also want a relationship where we have fierce intimacy with each other. We are physically compatible with each other. We have shared interests, maybe even shared hobbies, certainly some shared values. We feel supported, encouraged, like our partner is our cheerleader. Okay, now I'm starting to feel overwhelmed because as you can see, there's lots of things that we tend to want and actually expect out of a relationship in today's modern world. So my guest today is very knowledgeable in this new approach to working with couples and just relationship work, which is called Relational Life Therapy. Terry Real created it. We're going to tell you all about it um, in a little bit. He and this model that he's created, it is my jam, and it resonates so much when I think about us millennials and this experience we're in of finding commitment, finding compatibility, finding a compassionate, intimate partnership in the modern world. And Terry is very outspoken about the fact that marriage has undergone a true transformation, a revolution. We want so much from our relationships. And the kicker here is that most of us have not gained an understanding or true education on what these relationships we want so badly truly take to succeed. So where his RLT approach has become life-changing for me on a personal and professional level is that he has outlined the roadmap. It's truly there in the sense of the skills, the things we actually do and implement into our life and our relationships that make it the leveled up partnership that we crave. 
the desire for connection is never going to go away. That's not a generational thing. And relationship problems aren't inherently a generational problem either. Each generation has their thing. They have their crunch. But for us millennials, there are some pretty unique things that go into why we are the way we are in our relationship. So we're going to talk on these themes and more today. And please, if anything touches you, I hope that you will write me and let me know about that because this is the conversation we need to be having together. And I am pumped to bring you this one today. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. And I am so thrilled to bring you some very, very real talk today with my interviewee for today's episode. This is Rebecca Wong, and she is the founder of Connectfulness and the host of ConnectfulnessPractice.com, which I highly, highly recommend you put that in your ears and listen to because it is some transformative conversation that she brings through her work, through her deep understanding of relationships and intimacy and the generational impact um, that healing and going inward can have on your life. So I could sit here and and talk for quite a few minutes on that, but I have to pitch that up front and tell y'all to tune in. And welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Liz. Thanks for having me. Just to go back real quick, it's um, connectfulness.com or it's the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Perfect. Thank you. Yes, we need to get that right. And it will definitely be in the show notes too if you guys want to take a look on there and connect with Rebecca after our conversation. Thanks for having so, me. Yes, I'm I'm so excited to have you here. It's like a little bit of a fangirl moment, as silly as it sounds, because I've read your stuff, I've listened to your podcast, and I am really excited because I know that you are a relational life therapist. Mm-hmm. And RLT is something I have become very excited about the past couple of years. It's the therapy model created by Terry Real, and I won't spend all the time right now going into the details, but it's truly transformed my life personally, the way that I experience myself and my relationship to my husband and others. And it's just transformed the way that I see how we do relationship and partnership in our generation as millennials and in our culture and world. So I think, um, I know that you're going to have some amazing things to share today and Maybe you can just tell us a little bit about what got you into this model and this journey of relationship work. So one of the things that Terry says, and you know, this is probably one of his more famous quotes, but it's that family pathology rolls from generation to generation like a fire in the woods, taking down everything in its path until one person in one generation has the courage to turn and face the flames. That person brings peace to his ancestors and spares the children that follow. Pretty profound, right? That's so powerful. Yeah. So the reason that I love that quote is that I grew up a child who was holding on to so much stuff that wasn't mine, that came from generations before me, and it was totally affecting how I did relationship. And this model helped me learn what's mine and what's not mine, how to give back the stuff that isn't mine, and how to really learn how to be in this different way in my modern current relationships. So it's 
healed me. It's helped me as a human and it's made me a better therapist. That's amazing. I, I really, I really think that as therapists, it's oftentimes the the thing that leads us deeper into our own healing and our own growth forward that really resonates in terms of the way to get there, that the model that we use, the language that we speak. Um, so that's that's amazing that it had a profound impact on you personally and then obviously professionally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I wanted to ask you some things about how this approach to relationships and intimacy can relate to millennials, because that's what I like to talk on here. That's the focus of my practice in a lot of ways. And I think that us millennials, we we have been given an interesting hand, as each generation has, right? But certainly with the pace of technology and just the way that our world has literally changed so much over the course of my generation's experience. It's just amazing. And oh my gosh, we could go into all those different things like the student loan debt and how that impacts people, um, you know, difficulty trusting in larger organizations or religions and stuff. I mean, I I sort of look at our generation as struggling to trust in a lot of ways. And then we get thrown into this mindset, be, growing up being told that we we were really important. And, and that's certainly a healthy thing. But then in some ways being seen as this entitled bunch that is selfish and narcissistic and just self-serving in our drives. And there's just a lot that I think people get wrong about our generation. But, but I understand too where maybe some of that comes from. And so I guess all these things, I'm just wanting to hear a little bit from you in terms of what you think about this generation and our experience, relationally speaking, or maybe as it has to do with trust. Well, so I want to break down trust because I think a lot of us walk into a a therapy room, walk into life, walk into relationships, kind of feeling like we should just be able to trust. And that's a fallacy. Trust is something that is built up. And one of the best ways <laughs> that we can um, learn how to be in an intimate relationship that is kind of embraced with, with trust and warmth and um, that feels safe is actually through discord. Mm. Right? Because if we don't experience how we can do that repair work together, then we can't trust anything. Right. Yeah, I think that hits the nail on the head. I (laughs) talked in another episode the other day just by myself about the role of conflict in a relationship and how it's supposed to be there. And it doesn't mean you're with the wrong person. But sometimes I get a little baffled that here we are in 2020 and there's still so many of us that have this idea or this narrative that if you're with the right person, it should feel easy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It should be easy and we shouldn't have to work so hard. We're working so hard. So that means there's something wrong. No, it doesn't. What it means is that you're both coming into this with a different template about what relationships look like. And you know, one one of the things I heard you talking about before is that, you know, millennials are often called selfish or narcissistic or self-serving. And I think this has a lot to do with how we parent through generations. For a long time, parents had been told, you know, um, that they shouldn't coddle their children. And then they were told, um, praise them, praise them a lot, <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. 
there, there are all these different ways that we grow generations up. And I, I, I think there's something to be said. I don't want to like make a huge sweeping um, piece here, but that maybe the millennial generation, not each individual, I'm not speaking to you. I don't know who you are yet. Um, but the generation maybe is a little bit more on the grandiose side, a little bit more on the entitled side, a little bit more on the, we feel pretty good about ourselves, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that can be hard to hear. It can be hard to notice that and to hear it. And what I think RLT does, relational life therapy does in a way that other forms of relationship therapy don't necessarily is that it deals with that part of the power dynamic within a relationship. Because what often happens is that somebody might be feeling like they're in a one down or a shame position, not I'm like, which kind of sounds like I'm no good. I don't matter. Why do I even bother? Right. Right. And then somebody else might be feeling a little bit more like you're no good. You don't matter. Why do you even bother? That's more grandiose. And that's a little intoxicating, right? Like it feels kind of good to be in that position where, you know, you know what you're doing. feels pretty good to be you. And what RLT does is it rebalances the power. Yes. And I, I know what you're talking about there and I'll ask you some more on that, but I, I want to give you full permission to, to embrace that statement because I, I agree. I, I see that generally speaking, our generation knows how to go up. We know how to get a little grandiose about things. And to just share a little bit personally on that, I think I really noticed that in myself when I had children, when mm-hmm. I became a mom, because before that, it was the Liz show. And <laughs> yes, that involved a relationship and a marriage and, and an intimacy brewing there. But but when I had children, it was like a, a true encapsulation of like, no, 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 like a huge part of myself now, I mean, I have to be involved in the caretaker and just 100% needed at all times. And it was a real struggle for me, which isn't abnormal, but I think I really felt that in the form of resentment sometimes, um, Mm -hmm. of more of this one-up like um, frustration that I was losing myself. Yeah. And that's something I hear from millennials a lot. Even when it comes to partnership, it's literally people saying, I don't, I don't want to lose myself. Well, we're we're sold this lie in in life that we are the accumulation of the things we do, the accomplishments that we have, the way we look, (laughs) or how other people like us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so all of this that I'm talking about right now, this is all self-esteem work. Yes. Because when we're talking about self-esteem, if we're getting our sense of esteem from outside in versus from this internal knowledge that we all have inherent worth, we just do. And there's nothing in the world that you can do that can add to that. And there's nothing you can do that would subtract from that. You just have it. You just have this inherent worth. It removes this need to prove ourselves. And I think, I mean, I'm, I'm a mom. I have two tween girls. I'm in my mid-40s. I'm going to place myself in the Gen X group. And there's this thing that happens when we become parents where suddenly we don't know who we are anymore. 
because okay. all it was, of it happened to you too. <laughs> oh, it, it, I don't know anybody that it doesn't happen to. You know, it. There was yeah. this time when my husband and I were new parents, where he was commuting in these long days to go to work, and I was home with the baby, and he wore two different shoes to work. You know, like I mean, couldn't even figure out how to put his <laughs> shoes on anymore. It, it's just we we lose ourselves in this. But the the thing is that we don't lose the essence of who we are. We mm-hmm. just forget that essence like throughout most of our life. It's like no one's been tending to that little flame. And that's Mm. what this work gets us back to. Because we've been misguided throughout much of our lives. We've been focusing on what's coming from the outside in instead of what's coming from the inside out. And when we're misguided, we don't protect. We don't protect that little flame. The one that lives inside of us that inherent worth. We don't protect ourselves. And so then our boundaries get all wrapped up in this and it gets really messy relationally. But when we learn how to redirect everything, then suddenly things start falling into place. Definitely. And I know from what you're talking about there, not having a sense of that flame, not knowing truly deeply who we are through all the messy phases of life, we, we act out or we find ways of protecting and operating from that survival mode. And we have to, because Mm -hmm. what that is, is those are versions, younger versions of us. There are adapted selves, right? They are the wounded child, a little bit grown up, maybe like seven to 18 years old. And figuring out, okay, this this world that I live in right now, this this family that I'm growing up in, these people who are caring for me or not, are or aren't really meeting my needs, right? Like the, the earliest job of a child, of an infant that's born in this world is to figure out if I call out for help, are you going to respond? Are you going to be there to take care of me? Right. And so all of these kinds of memories live inside of us in a really, like an implicit way, We can't call on them because they live in a part of our brain that doesn't even have words. Mm -hmm. But then as we get older and we become young children and then teenagers, we start to adapt to the world we have. If we have parents that are alcoholics and out of it all the time, then we learn to adjust and maybe to take care of the little siblings. If we get beaten every time we do something quote unquote wrong, maybe we learn how to be perfect and how to, you know, predict what's going to happen. If we have parents that just don't really notice us, or if we have parents that are always telling us what a great job we're doing, we're going to try to bend and keep making them happy because that's how we survive in these families. And then when we figure that part out, that often is the template that comes with us unknowingly, unconsciously, it comes with us into our adult love relationships. And so often what we see in adult relationships is it's not this wise adult self having a relationship with another wise adult self, but we actually have two adapted children in the room in relationship with each other. Do you see that as it happens in your work with couples? Can you, I'm asking, sometimes I'm sitting there with a couple and I feel like I can almost feel that that's their adaptive child sitting there, that it's not that the person I spoke to on the phone that was working out the details of the session time is, is just a totally different part of them. Oh, it's, it's the entirety of my work. Yeah. You yeah. do the deep work and that it's a part of why I was so eager to get you 
on here to have a conversation because I, I'm really a true believer that if, if people want to learn how to have healthy, epic, fulfilling relationships, and you know, Esther Perel does a pretty good job of talking about all of the roles and expectations that we've wound up into this ideal partner we're going to have in life and just how amazing they're going to be for us. Like we have to be able to do the deeper work in ourselves. And I'm wondering if you can maybe talk on that for a minute, like why this work is so important in order to have a, a successful relationship Let me go back to that quote I shared when we first started at the top of the episode Mm -hmm. about how family pathology rolls down from generation to generation, Mm -hmm. like a fire in the woods, and it takes down everything in its path until one person, one person in one generation has the courage to turn and face the flames. That person brings peace to their ancestors and spares the children that follow. That's Terry Reel's quote. He wrote that in I Don't Want to Talk About It, which was one of his first books. Right. That's the reason. Because if we don't show up and do that deep work, then we pass it down. Right. And is it true that if we don't do that, if we don't face these parts of ourselves, we repeat it? We repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. I mean, there's no way not to. That's that's part of, I mean, passing it down doesn't only mean to the children in our lives. It also means to every other relationship we come in contact with. Right. Right? Like when I'm at work and I have a flip out because somebody didn't do something the way I wanted them to do, right? And, um, oh gosh, I grew up in this family. Can I tell you a story? Sure. I'm not very proud of this story, but it's okay. I'm going to share it anyway. I grew up in a family where my mother was pretty, <laughs> sorry, mom, was pretty grandiose and would kind of like yell when she didn't get her way, like a little tantrum, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember this time I was in my early 20s and I went to get a salad for lunch from the local salad place. I was working in Manhattan at the time and they didn't get my salad right. And wouldn't you know it, I had a tantrum the way my mom did. And that same tantrum that I had at the salad place was the tantrum that my mother's mother had when my father died at the funeral parlor, when she laid down on the floor and threw her fist into the ground like a four-year-old. We pass these patterns down until we do something about it, until we recognize them, make the knowledge of that story explicit, and decide we're going to do something different. And then it's revolutionary. We can change it almost on a dime when we're ready to. Yeah, I listened to your conversation with Julian Shore. Mm-hmm. That's your most recent episode, actually, which I highly recommend. But it was, oh, it was so amazing to hear her talk on how some of these intricate shifts are made in our brain in a matter of yeah. seconds when we choose to step into this work. So huge. I'm not even going to try to explain all the brain science because I can't. Oh, yeah, don't because (laughs) I won't be able to ask the right question. But I will definitely tune into her work more because it was very enlightening. So something that I was intrigued by in RLT from the very beginning and in Terry's book, uh, The New Rules of Marriage, which I use and recommend to so many clients, is how he 
definitely approached the more traditional gender stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And he can handle with those extremes yeah. when we think of the most victimed, shamed, just one down person to the most heightened, grandiose, blatant, narcissistic person. And I know that generally speaking, we tend to associate certain genders with those extremes. Um, but RLT, I mean, it it does what he calls dismantles the patriarchy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's so relevant for our generation to hear about. Yeah, I think it's really important that maybe we let go of the male-female kind of labels when we're mm-hmm. having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I think we're really talking about is power. Yeah. And when we're talking about dismantling the patriarchy, we're talking about speaking truth to power. Mm. Right? And so the way the way that we conceptualize this, the way that Terry talks about it, is that you can't really have true intimacy in a situation where somebody has power over another. Right. So what is real intimacy? <laughs> what do you think it is? Really, I just want your listeners to pause and check in with themselves about that first. Sure. Intimacy, if you break down the word, right? I lo- and I love how Esther Perel does this, but she mm-hmm. says, into me, I see. Mm-hmm. Into me, I see. So what is intimacy? Intimacy is about knowing yourself and being able to share yourself with somebody else. It's about knowing yourself and not just being able to share yourself, but loving yourself, protecting yourself. Being able to speak up for what you need and want. And to be able to accept the same from your partner. To want to know them and to be able to also accept when they say, I can't go there now. Without it meaning that they don't want to be with you. Right. And I think that yeah, I have to be I have to be careful not to generalize everybody because we're all so different, but many many people are quick to be that reactive and I think it's been really interesting to see even some of the statistics around divorce rate and such for millennials like first of all we're waiting longer to do it, we're more established when we decide to get into a committed relationship or marriage and the seven-year itch has quickly become the three-year itch and instant gratification syndrome has done us no favors. <laughs> right. So that instant gratification living in this era where you can get anything you want just by looking it up on your cell phone that you have constantly attached mm-hmm. to you, right? Um, you see, this is where we're linking back now to that one-up, to that grandiosity, to that intoxication. Right. Right. And so much of what we're describing here is a form of acting out. It's a form of, mm-hmm. well, it's, it's a form of essentially like, remember the tantrum I just talked about me at the mm-hmm. salad shop, mm-hmm. that's an acting out. And we do that relationally kind of all the time. And when we live in our relationships in that reactive acting out kind of way, and we all act out in different ways. Some of us are fighters, right? You, you know, like the basic trauma responses, there's the fighting, there's the flight, right? Kind of the, um, I go behind a wall or I run away or I withdraw. I can be standing right in front of you, but like nothing you're saying is getting through to me anymore. Right. Right. The freeze, like a deer in headlights. Mm -hmm. And then there's a few others. There's fixing, 
I need to fix this. I need to make this better. That's my job. Sometimes also called fawning, like pleasing. Mm. And when we find ourselves in one of those responses, chances are we're in an adaptive part of ourselves. We're not really showing up as our wisest, most solid, most integrated self. Right. And if we continuously are showing up in relationships in that adaptive part, the relationships are going to eventually run into problems unless your partner somehow is really great at staying in their most functional self all the time, but chances are they're not. Yeah, I, I think it would have to take a, a lot of wise, wise <laughs> functioning mind to stay put in a relationship with a more adaptive partner. I, I love what you said earlier, you know, that that adaptive part, it's not just that we did it, we had to, we had to learn to survive, yeah. to to make it to the other side. And yeah, this is the survivor in you. Right. You know, right. this is this is the little one or the little ones that they they faced so much and probably nobody even acknowledged it. And if you had to like sit down and talk to them, they might even go, yeah, well, you know, somebody else had it worse than I did. Oh yeah. I'm nodding my head. I, I've heard so many clients say that. Yeah. They become dismissive of yeah. their own experience. Right. And so it's not even something that registers. It doesn't even register how hard that might have been and how much you actually had to do to survive, how you had to contort and compromise yourself in order to get to be where you are right now. Would you say that for some that even becomes the adaptive part of themselves, even becomes something that they are happy with, that they're proud of, that they cherish for getting them to where they are? Yeah, you know, um, Terry used to call this wise part the functioning adult. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And he's shifting that now. He's calling it this wise self. And that's exactly why. Because for many of us, those adaptive parts, those survivors are actually incredibly functional. Right. They served a purpose. They, right? And they've, they've been managing. They're really, really good at managing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So how does a person get to a place or what does it take? What have you seen that it takes for somebody to get to a place of awareness on, oh, okay, maybe this adaptive self hasn't been, you know, as wise as I thought maybe or whatever. Yeah. It's a bit of a reckoning. It's a bit of like a, a waking up, right? Mm -hmm. We In relational life, work. Um, when therapists are trained in this work, there's a phase that they're actually trained in. It's all about waking up. The waking up is is where we're kind of speaking truth to it, where we're joining with our clients and we're saying like, this is what I'm seeing. This is how I see it. And you're such a good human. You have so much inherent worth. And this really hard thing happened to you and this is how you dealt with it. And now that's playing out here in your relationship. Can you see it? How's that working for you? So it's not to judge it. It's not to no. add any more fuel to the fire. It's to notice it, recognize it, give space to it. Yeah, we call it an observation, right? We want to be really gentle in that observation. The, the, the thing is, when we go either one up or one down, when we go into the grandiosity or the shame that I talked about earlier, we're going into this on both sides. We're going into an energy of contempt. I have contempt for you. You're not enough. You don't matter. I have contempt for me. I'm not enough. I don't matter. Same words, different direction. Right. Judgment is a form of contempt. 
whether I'm judging somebody else or I'm judging myself. Interestingly, you know what else is a form of contempt? What? Perfection. Oof. (laughs) Because if I need to be perfect, then I'm sending you a message that you also need to be perfect or I'm going to judge you. Mm. And I can't tolerate myself if I'm not perfect. And I have a really long way to fall if I don't achieve that perfection. So the opposite of judgment is curiosity. And that's what we're asking for. That's what we ask our clients to do. We ask them to come into this shifting from a place of judgment to a place of curiosity, from a place of contempt to a place of compassion. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I hope I'm not veering too off the path here, but maybe you can help me out. I'm thinking about how in some ways when it's come to when it comes to relationships and finding a partner, finding a person and just how different that that playing field is today and how fixated we've become in our generation of thinking that we can find the right partner, seeking the right partner. What would you say about that? Like does that make a connection to an adaptive part of myself? To be totally. so, yeah, to be so fervently trying to find somebody that checks all the boxes and can be everything that I need. And swiping has made it so incredibly simple to just. It, keep I mean, on it, it's definitely part of the adaptive part. And uh, I have a few things. I, I'm going to add one more Terry quote in here before I move on. Sure. And that's Terry would say, "You know that you're in a real relationship the day that you look at this person and realize." They are exquisitely designed to stick that burning spear right into your eyeball. (laughs) That's the person that's going to throw you right back into the soup that you thought you were going to avoid. And that's the good news because that is where the healing lies. Yeah. Right? So it, it is exactly that. In a immature relationship... Right, And we use mature and immature here to to talk about the parts that have really evolved and developed, right? The adaptive parts, they're less mature. The wise parts are more mature. So in a more immature relationship, we have this vision of what a relationship is supposed to be, and it's supposed to be easy. And if I find the perfect partner, then they'll do this for me, and they'll do that for me, and they'll kind of read my mind, and I won't have to tell them that this is what I need when I need it. And in a more mature relationship, We look at our partner and we go, well, you're not what I thought you were going to be, but you know what? I love you anyway. I wouldn't want to do this life without you. That's a beautiful shift between those (laughs) two perspectives. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I am looking forward to doing is the relationship boot camp that you are putting on in a few weeks. And it's, I know it encapsulates a lot of the RLT. Oh, it's all this teaching. Yeah. Yeah. We we teach people how to live relationally. Um, I'm going to be co-facilitating this with two colleagues, Victoria Issa and Julianne Taylor-Shore. And we are so excited because what we get to do is lead individuals and couples through a whole two full days two full days this is happening online but we're leading them through two full days of learning both didactic and experiential and it's all about all these skills 
learning about how to hold yourself in healthier self-esteem, learning about where to place yourself, um, like where you have seen yourself, waking these parts of you up, learning about your adaptive child, and then learning how to put it all together and live with better relational skills and actually doing the work in these two days. And I love that. I really appreciate that. It's These are called skills because they are. And I think it's helpful helpful for listeners to hear this because we've been talking about some relatively deep work here and some deep themes that like really transformative stuff here. And maybe it feels kind of transient or ambiguous or hard to grasp for listeners. It's like, oh my God, you know, like going to therapy and digging up all my stuff and yada, yada. I mean, yeah, that's, it is a piece of it, but like with this boot camp, for example, it's really tangible, practical tools that you utilize in your relationship. Is that correct? It's really, really tangible, practical tools mm-hmm. that are built upon a foundation of a depth of understanding of why things weren't working. Right. We're talking to all the different parts of your brain, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking to the parts that just associate with sensations and movement. We're talking to the parts that just look at metaphors and emotions. And we're also talking to the parts that use language to relate and to contextualize things. So we're we're connecting all of those different parts and integrating it in these two days. Oh my gosh. I'll be doing a before and after <laughs> podcast with my husband. Uh, we oh, really are. We're planning on it just to kind of talk through some things before and then to come back together after and process what it was like. Oh and my gosh. I'm so excited for that. That just gave me chills to hear. Yeah, we're going to do that. And I'm pumped because I think it will be really neat for listeners to hear what it's like for a couple yeah. to go through this process mm. and be able to share the aftermath of it. Oh, that's so delicious. Yeah, I'm really excited. But I want to ask you, you know, I work with a lot of millennial clients and they're very different phases a lot of times. Some millennials right now are still very, very single and figuring that out and exploring relationship. Others are in a committed relationship. Others are into their second or third marriage already. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of wide scope of where people are. And I'm wondering with this work you're talking about with, um, relational life therapy with a relationship boot camp. I mean, is there a right, I don't like that word, but a right time to do the work. Yeah. Yeah, there is. It's right now. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Um, (laughs) I think, I think that the point in which you do the work is the point in which the work shows up for you and says, Hey, have you ever heard about me? Like I'm something you might want to check out. Mm -hmm. There's no right place in our life to do it. There's just the time where it finds you and it gets your interest peaked and it sounds like something that maybe could help you. That's the right time. I love that. I think that's great because there doesn't have to be this crisis. Things don't have to be in shambles. They may be, and that may be the point in time when the calling happens, but you can start it now. You can do it Mm -hmm. now. And Yeah, you don't have to wait to be in relationship. You don't have to wait to be on the brink of a divorce. You don't have to wait Mm -hmm. to be having kids. You don't have to be, you know, like you can do this work on your own for yourself. And you can do this work when you're in relationship together. And you can do this work to try to hold your relationship together or to figure out what to do after it falls apart. All of them. Yeah, I love that. I have a dream that maybe in some form or fashion, this very work is something that's more integrated. I think Terry talks about that too, right? Like this should be in schools. We should find some way to 
get this out there. I mean, I, I have to say, I tell people this all the time, becoming a therapist, it feels like it's the thing that saved my life and my marriage <laughs> because my, had my I not tweens and they talk yeah. about mommy before she met Terry and mommy after. Oh my gosh, they do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's, it's a thing awesome. in our home. Like there's, there's this, um, it's changed me. Yeah. And so it's also changed how I parent them and it's changed how I talk to them and how I deal with sibling rivalry now has changed and, you know, how I esteem them has changed. I mean, I got to ask you a little bit about that if you, if you don't mind, sure. like, what do you think are maybe some of the greatest shifts you've experienced yourself making in your parenting because of it? Oh, well, there, there's a few sides to it. Um, you know, as parents, we, we tend to sometimes I don't know, go into our adaptive child and overreact a little when things aren't really going smoothly, <laughs> right? And so when when that happens, I don't beat myself up anymore. I remember that I'm human and that I goofed and that I can repair something with them. And this is a new opportunity to come back to the repair process. And that's what builds trust because I'm going to take responsibility for what I did or said that might have been too much or too powerful. And I'll own that so that they don't have to. And that's really powerful as a parent. For, for my child to, sh for me to show up and say, I messed up. Yeah. It's very strange, but for me, I can almost feel the healing that it gives me to go back and to sit with my little three-year-old and to apologize to her and to tell her, I'm sorry, you know, mommy got upset. I shouldn't have yelled that way. I love you so much you know, I want you to forgive me. I can just, I feel something in myself that I can tell in that moment. It's more about me than about her. And it's crazy. Yeah. Maybe to bring things full circle, do you feel like there's anything you could say that really just sticks out to you about this work with clients, couples of yours that you've worked with? Yeah. Well, so I think I think the best parts are really about how it can teach us to stand solidly in ourself mm -hmm. while we're in relationship with others so that we don't lose ourselves like we were talking about before when we become parents or when we're in a new job or when we're in a state of stress or when we get swept into a new relationship. How do you not lose yourself? How do you stay grounded in who you are? How do you know who you are? How do you love that person even when you don't like all the parts of that person? Even when you, right? So one of the things RLT teaches us to do, and I really, I really appreciate this, is that we can have a problem with someone's behaviors, even our own, but that doesn't mean that the person is bad. Yeah. It means it's the behaviors that we're not liking, right? So when I look at my kid, I'm not saying you're a bad kid because you did this. I'm saying, I don't like that you did this. Mm -hmm. Really, really different. And so the message that we're, we're, transmuting to somebody is one like you're still worthy i just don't like how you're treating me right now i love that that's one of the pillars of the winning strategies in relationships is to remember love mm -hmm. and that that's an action you know it's yeah. an action it's a verb it is and when I think when we're talking about remembering love, it goes, for me, it goes deeper. It goes back to that remembering that we have inherent worth, that we all do, mm -hmm. right? That I, I'm inherently worthy. There's nothing I can do that will add to or subtract from that worth. You're inherently worthy and there's nothing you can do that will add to or subtract from your inherent worth. Mm 
And that's what I'm remembering when I'm remembering love. And it transforms the way you see your partner, even in some of the worst moments. Because yeah. when you're holding on to that, it's, you're not behind and, the wall. And, and, you know, we talk about a lot of this in the boot camp, but when, when your partner is at one of their worst moments or when you're at one of your worst moments, there's really an old historical story playing out there mm-hmm. for both of you, right? And so part of this work is being able to unblend that because when it's blended together, we're not really seeing clearly what's happening right now. And when we unblend it, then we can see the little one that's really hurt who was triggered when I did this. And I can take responsibility for this thing I did because it doesn't mean that you think I'm a bad person. It means that you got hurt because this whole other thing came up and reminded you of a time when. Mm -hmm. Takes you back to an old narrative. Yeah. That's very much alive. (laughs) (laughs) And, and it creates that opportunity for healing, right? When your partner sticks that burning spear into your eye, that's the moment where you can do the healing work. Right. It's almost like for those that really want to know the answer to how can I know I'm with the right person? (laughs) Well, it's that it won't always be easy. You will (laughs) feel the growing pains, but they're just that they're, they're, they're a treadway to the next level if you take it. Right. And, and, you know, this is to suppose that we're not talking about a situation that is in like explicitly abusive and certainly physically abusive. And, you know, like we want to, we're talking in the confines of a, a non-harmful relationship. Correct. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. You are so welcome. This This is awesome. And I want to know if I can ask you because you are on here and you know, I'm doing the boot camp with my husband, like, is there anything we can do to prepare for it? What would you suggest like between now and then as we are preparing for that time we're going to spend together? If you haven't already read New Rules of Marriage or Fierce Intimacy, I would start there. Mm-hmm. If you have, I might even go through them again. Um, I'm going to say I've read New Rules of Marriage like 10 times. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll review. Read, and and I, would, I would say the same to your husband. Yes. Um, I mean, I think, I think the big stuff is make sure that you're getting good sleep, that, um, you know, you maybe prep some food. So that you have what you need for snacks and for our breaks, for lunch and stuff like that. Like just really get things ready so that you can really devote yourself to these two days and feel well supported. Yeah, I think that's great. We oftentimes forget to cover those basics. So I'll be sure to do that. Yeah. It's it's gonna be so I, I'm just looking forward to it so much. This is like also the most time I think we will have spent together in a focused conversation or yeah. learning or whatever around our relationship since far before COVID. Yeah. This is a 12 hour commitment to dive yeah. in, you know, over two days. So there's, there's some deep, deep stuff that's going to be happening. And mm-hmm. you want to make sure like if you have kids that someone else is going to be watching them, like you, that you want oh, to have yeah. all of those pieces in place and have yourself well supported so that you can dive into this 12 hours and really get the most out of it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't even try if I didn't have childcare. I learned that lesson when COVID started, but so tell us how people can find you. I know we talked about your podcast, but I'd I'd love for people to know where they can learn about the boot camp and just you. Everything of me and my work and my podcast and the boot camp, all of it lives at connectfulness.com. That's C-O-N-N-E-C-T-F-U-L-N-E-S-S.com. 
everything is there. The, uh, there's an offerings page that has the boot camp, and um, there's a podcast page where you can find all those episodes, and you could search around the rest of the website to learn more about me too. Great. Thank you again for giving us this, this detailed glimpse into the practice you do and something that I think could really benefit a lot of listeners, relational life therapy. I know y'all will hear me talking about this more from time to time, but I consider Rebecca one of the, the, the most knowledgeable on this, and I've learned so much from what I've seen her do. This has been really great. Thanks, Rebecca. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Liz. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. If you like the show, leave us five stars or write a review. If you're interested in learning more, sign up for my free ebook, The One Barrier to Commitment All Millennials Face at millennialrelationships.com. 